VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hello and welcome to Danny in the Valley, your weekly dispatch from behind the scenes and inside the minds of the top people in tech. Before we get started today, two things. One, I just want to give you a quick update. Last week, listeners will recall, we had on Nova Spivak, who is the brains behind the Lunar Library. And then just a few hours before we put up the pod, and a couple days after I had spoken to Nova, the Lunar Lander crashed. And since then, the ARC Mission Foundation, which Nova runs and which funded the Lunar Library, has said that they actually think that the library, which is 30 million pages of human knowledge and history on 25 little nano disks, is either fully or partially intact. So they've brought together this team of experts in an effort to find it wherever it may be on the moon's surface. And they reckon that it's within a a few kilometers of the landing zone. So for all you amateur space cadets out there, crank up your telescopes. It could be up there. So anyhow, I just want to give you an update on that. There was a crash landing, but they think maybe all is not lost and that the billion-year backup of humanity may actually be intact. And then two, I just have a quick request. If you like the show, stop right now and give it a rating, maybe even a review if you're feasible inclined. It helps us push us up the rankings so that other people can find it and you know more people can enjoy the show. So please do do that. Take a moment, pass the word along, tell a friend. That's it. Now, on to today's show. Yo, technology, what is it all about? Are you vegan or veggie? I, uh, I started off being pescatarian. It was a struggle oh, for a me. progression, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then slowly started, you know, being like, okay, it's not that terrible, but the food was, was crap. Like, ultimately, I watched something by Chris Kerr from New Crop Capital. He was saying, you know, I, as a vegan, I was just eating disappointment. This week on the program, we have Arturo Elizondo who's the founder of Clara Foods, which is developing eggs without the chicken. That's right. Listeners of the show will be quite familiar with this whole food 2.0 movement. So we've had companies working on lab-grown fish meat, meat without the cow, and so now, of course, we have eggs without the bird. Now, how is this done? Is it something you would ever want to eat? Why is Elizondo working on this, of all things? I had all of those questions and many more. So I drove down to South San Francisco to a big glass tower right off the freeway so I could find out for myself. Hello. Hi, how are you doing? 
Pensiclara Foods. It'll be up on the eighth floor, elevator E. All right, thanks. Eight floor. Hi, you're Arturo. Yes, hi. Julia. Ah, hi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. At the most basic level, we make eggs without using chickens. At a more technical level, is that we make real animal protein without ever having to use an animal. And we're particularly focused on egg proteins right now because they're some of the most nutritional as well as some of the most functional on the planet. And it's almost impossible to replace an egg right now for you know, making omelets in the morning to you know, making your, your grandma's favorite cake. And so that's more or less what we're doing. However, some of our, the product proteins that I can go into a little bit more in depth uh, have really unique properties that can make them, can allow us to actually build food 2.0 and create things that have not been possible to date. Um, so, so what's the problem? If we can talk about just like basic, what is happening? How does the egg get to the supermarket today? <laughs> that whole process. Because I think, I think people are broadly aware of it, yeah. but I don't think they fully understand what's actually happening and what that process entails. Yeah, so the reason why I founded the company is because animal protein is one of the true resource guzzlers of of the food chain uh, and of the planet. It's an incredible amount of water, land, greenhouse gases required to bring protein into uh, you know, onto our plates. You know, I interned at the USDA eight, nine years ago in the agency that oversees all the slaughterhouses in the country. And I had no other idea that in the US we slaughtered over a million animals every single hour. Every hour? Every hour. Purely to satiate our palate, right? Because they're, they taste good and they offer some nutritional properties. And looking at not just the US but across developing countries, the first thing people do when they enter the middle class is that they buy animal protein. Yeah. There's an incredibly strong correlation between GDP per capita and animal protein consumption. And it's seen as a status symbol. When I ran the numbers, there's literally not enough land or water on the planet to satiate that demand. As more people move into the middle class. Exactly, exactly. Right. As the people who are already on this planet and the people that are going to be coming into this planet con- start continuing to consume the way that or begin consuming the yeah. way that Americans consume. Is there a stat of like, you know, one egg requires X gallons of water yeah. or all of that stuff? Yeah. How many gallons of water do you think it takes to make 12 eggs? A dozen, a dozen eggs. eggs. A dozen eggs. I just bought a dozen eggs yesterday. <laughs> um, mm, I don't know, 20? Mm-hmm. Yeah, most people say around a gallon per egg. It takes over 600 gallons of water. What? To make those 12 eggs. What? What? How? <laughs> is so, that is that the is that the water that goes into the food that is given to the chickens? Exactly. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Chickens drink a lot of water, but it's nothing compared yeah, yeah. to just how water intensive the grains are that they're that, Got they, you. that they consume. So it's six hundred gallons of water for a dozen eggs, and then there's all the land and yeah. all the waste. I presume. I mean, is there one big problem that comes? I mean, aside from the animal welfare thing, which seems to be evolving, at least in America. Yeah. Is there one resource issue that is the biggest for the industry, or is it water? Um, I don't know in terms of water, land, or greenhouse gases. Water te- t- typically tends to be the, the most intensive right. relative to others. And is there, like, is there chicken farts an issue or chicken burps? Not you know, really. Like, right. No. Not like, no. like cows. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Gotcha. I mean, chickens are really, I mean, the way that we've optimized them in the U.S., 
is that we've crammed chickens and, and bred them. I mean, we've we literally engineered them to make almost 300 eggs per year. Really? Yeah. God, it's almost, it's almost like one every 26 hours or something. Yeah. That, yeah, that feels unnatural. What yeah. would be like if a chicken was just running around doing its chicken life? Yeah. So these are quote-unquote genetically improved chickens uh, that are the mainstream in today's. Yeah. Uh, even in family farms, most of them use, they typically tend to rely on this particular strain of Got chickens. You. If Got you, you. And so chickens naturally, before they were so engineered, I mean, some of them would produce a few dozen a year. Wow. And now, you know, as a society, we've kind of been scaling back a little bit and saying, well, maybe we've gone too far. You know, this is the last thing from what natural should mean. Yeah. Right? Is is a chicken never seeing the sun walking, you know, walking on the grass, you know, living in, in, in its feces for for their entire lifetime. Lifetime to just... Which is a know, few weeks or... The chickens used for meat yeah. are a different strain. Right, uh, right, those right. last uh, a few okay. weeks before they're just too big that they can't They stand. can't walk. Yeah, 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 they can't walk. For the egg-laying hens, I think it's over a year that they right. can live, and they're just you know churning out those, uh, wow. those eggs. I'm not sure exactly what, what the number of weeks. So where are you coming at this <clears throat> from? Did you have like a moment at a chicken farm, or was it when you're interning at USDA when you kind of like had a light bulb moment of like, wait a minute, this is crazy? It was, I, I went to Geneva to study diplomacy. I'd always wanted to go into public service. And so you end up with chickens, of course. <laughs> well, I, I focused my research on international food security because I, it had piqued my interest. You know, as a, after being at the USDA, it really blew my mind and I wanted to learn more. And yeah. so I used that as an excuse to learn more about the food industry and looked at the global, at a global perspective. And that's when I began looking at China and India and developing countries and saw that, look, in the U.S., we're slaughtering a million animals every single hour and how much, again, the resources required to make that happen. Now, the U.S. is only 5% of so the U.S. population. So you're basically, looking at it from a development perspective, it's like, yeah, <clears throat> oh, extrapolating this forward, this is an impossibility. We're going to hit Exactly. Wall. And I, ultimately, it was when I stopped eating animal products, you're particularly You're veggie. Meat, yeah. Are you vegan or veggie? I, uh, I started off being pescatarian. It was a, it was a struggle oh, for a me. A progression, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then slowly started, you know, being like, okay, it's not that terrible. But the food was, was crap. Like, ultimately, I watched something by Chris Kerr from New Crop Capital. He was saying, you know, I, as a vegan, I was just eating disappointment. Um, and, <laughs> and, it, and, and, it, and it felt, you know, whenever I talked about plant-based eating with my family, it was like, that was the worst thing you could say to someone in Texas because it's they very un-Texas. Felt, yeah, 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 and they always felt like there was a compromise. They were giving up something, right? Because oftentimes the sustainable or healthy foods tend to be the ones that are worst for you or worst for the planet. It was this inherent compromise, and I was like, "Look, it doesn't have to be this way. Like, is there a way to revamp the food system such that you transform the back end of food production?" without compromising the consumer experience. You know, how do you make the same foods that people know and love, but produce them in a way that doesn't destroy the planet? And that's where the technology was that light bulb of, well, what if we just use a more efficient protein factory instead of a chicken, use a yeast? So are you a scientist? I'm not. I have a whole lab full of scientists that are much, much smarter. It's a kind of a pie-in-the-sky idea. Yeah. 
okay, let's just make eggs without the chickens and do, mm-hmm. you know, wipe away all of these problems. How do you get from that to actually, okay, we're going to make, we're going to do this? Because obviously there's, I'm presuming a lot of very difficult science involved. Yeah, incredibly difficult science. Ultimately, like I didn't even know exactly which problem I wanted to tackle except for the, you know, trying to find alternatives for animal protein production. You know, as soon as I really became convinced, I booked a one-way ticket from D.C. to San Francisco. No job, no place to stay. But I was like, I need to be here and try and be part of this movement. How old are you now? I'm 27. 27? Yeah. When did you come out here? Five years ago, 22. You just came out here. What did you do? Um, I <laughs> started emailing everyone I knew and, and talked to a few people that I had come in contact with. You know, I'd fallen, I'd fallen in love with the, all the other food tech companies that had come before us, that had, you know, that had already started doing this. Like Impossible Foods, like Impossible, I think, was around by you know, then. Hampton Creek, Beyond Meat. There were, you know, so many, there were at least a few people in those spaces. I got invited to this food tech conference where I met the guys from Perfect Day, making the milk without cows. And I met Isha from New Harvest, who helped it kind of accelerate the space and, and, and first kind of put it on the radar. And I also met my co-founder, Dave, that she had, uh, she had brought from Canada, who's a molecular biologist by training. He had this crazy idea of making eggs without using chickens. And Isha connected us. We're like, look, you guys you know, could be a great team. So we applied to Indie Bio with an idea on paper, but really you know, leveraging his technical expertise and ultimately you know i tried building out a business plan putting things together and then we applied to any bio and you know fortunately arvind and, and ron and ryan um saw something in us and uh accepted us so you get basically you have a slide deck <clears throat> and two people and through that yeah you get 250 grand or whatever it is they give you mm-hmm. in lab space and you're off to the races yeah yeah and that was four years ago correct so where are you right? Because right now we're in a, it's kind of an odd place for a biotech. We're in like a, <laughs> kind of an yeah. office building next to the freeway. You know, we've raised quite a bit of money since then. We haven't disclosed uh, exactly how much, but we've been raising capital to... I saw there was 20 million or something that was in the public domain. Or huh? Was 20 million in the public domain? I'm not sure who, you know, what, yeah. what, what has been shared, okay. but, um, but yeah, we, we've definitely raised quite a bit of money to get the R&D going. Is this actually going to be egg? Yeah. And how do you make it? Yeah, so that's a great question. And we're not so focused on the yolk as much from using this technology because at the, at the end of the day, we're a protein company. And the beauty of what we're doing is that we're putting two different technologies under the same roof. What I loved most about this particular technology is that it's been around for 40 years. Like What technology? As crazy as it sounds, making real animal protein without ever using an animal has been around since the 80s. And actually was pioneered like three blocks from our offices here by Genentech. Oh, really? Who uh, made insulin using fermentation. Can you talk about the insulin process? Because I feel like a lot of people, unless you're diabetic, you probably (laughs) don't know the process. Prior to the 1980s, insulin used to come from pigs. In order to make insulin, you had to kill a pig, extract the insulin protein from their pancreas, purify that, and inject it into people. And that's how every diabetic got their insulin protein from. See, I didn't realize that. So it was actually just straight extracted from the pig. Correct. That's wow. how all insulin was made. Right. And, and now so it's all synthetic. Now it's made from fermentation. It has the same functional benefits 
of actually human insulin. I think they, right. they, that, that's the new insulin that, that's been developed. But guess how many pigs you needed to make one kilo of insulin? I'm going to say, um, because we're talking about eggs, I'll say a dozen. It's a little more. You needed 50,000 pigs. Pig pancreases. F- 50,000 pigs? Yeah. And how I don't know how long how far a kilo of insulin goes. It goes it it, it lasts a while, but right, to right. make that kilo of protein, fifty thousand pigs um, are slaughtered. It's just I mean incredibly inefficient, yeah. right? In terms of just getting to that one kilo that other animals make gotcha. very quickly, and especially yeast and bacteria and other microorganisms are already naturally very good at making that protein. So well, yeah. So what is what are you so, picking back piggybacking on in yeah, terms of your process? So what they do is that what Genentech found is that microbes are naturally good at making protein. Okay. Protein is just a bunch of amino acids put together that are encoded by DNA. Mm-hmm. Right. DNA sequence ATC codes for methionine, right? GGC codes for tryptophan, et cetera. And so as long as you, that you can use these microbes as a computer and run a code, run that program, and, but instead of using zeros and ones, you do ATCG, exactly. And so you insert that, that code and it spits out the right protein of interest. Gotcha. And so they were able to find a way to essentially design that same microbe to produce that sa- the, the same Basically produce uh, a animal protein. engineer a yeast that would yield insulin. Exactly. And now fast forward. And that was fermented. Fermented, exactly. Right. You add some sugar, some water, some other nutrients and vitamins for the yeast. The Heat yeast it reads it, you know, it, it, it eats that sugar, reads the code, and then starts printing, essentially. Producing DNA. insulin. Exactly. Right. Okay. And now all insulin is made using fermentation. It's fundamentally a very similar process to make beer and wine. So in the same way that yeah. brewers use yeast to convert the sugar into alcohol to make beer and wine, yeast can also convert the sugar into protein. Gotcha. And so then Genentech and other companies basically use that kind, those kinds of microbes like yeast and bacteria to get them to eat the sugar but produce particular proteins and not just random gotcha, gotcha. Know, bacterial protein yeah. or yeast protein. Okay. Uh, so we use the same one but really focus on pushing the technology to its limit. The other crazy part is that the technology didn't stay in, in, in pharma. It actually is used in food right now. What do you mean? To make cheese. What so do you as mean? of prior to the <laughs> 1990s, yeah. cheese wasn't vegetarian for the most part. Because in order to make cheese, you had to kill baby cows. The protein... Okay, <laughs> explain. So the protein... I feel like I've heard this before, but I don't really <laughs> not actually know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so the protein used to curdle the milk yeah. to make cheese, yeah. industrially, could only be found in the fourth stomach of baby cows. Only, only the, only the fourth. The fourth. Only the fourth. Okay. It's called rennet. Yeah, oh right, yes, 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 yes. It's the protein that's used to curdle the milk to make cheese... Industrial, you could only source that from the four stomach of calves that were only a few days old. And that's how almost all cheese was made at an industrial level. So you kill a cow or kill a calf, Mm -hmm. extract the rennet, Mm -hmm. combine that with the protein, and you get cheese. Exactly. And now I presume that is all that is now being using the same fermentation process to create rennet. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So instead of throwing the rennet into milk, the, the rennet from the baby cow into milk to make the cheese, 
you you get the same rennet, rennet. But from a um, from a baby cow, and that's how almost all cheese is made today. Over ninety percent of cheese in the U.S. and around eighty percent of cheese in the in Europe is made using fermentation. Something of, tells me the France probably is doing less. Of that. <laughs> there are some countries in that have like very particular designations of yeah. where it needs to come from, and so like the artisanal cheeses, like a lot of them require you have to use the same process that was used a thousand yeah, years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Gotcha. Uh, but for the most part, for industrial purposes, it's basically been wiped out. Yeah, I feel like there's probably a whole hipster movement <laughs> around old school cheese. Now to eggs. Mm-hmm. So, so how does this, yeah, how are you doing this then? Yeah, so the, the beauty of the egg, and like any every other, other animal product, is that there are dozens of proteins in there. So in an egg, there are anywhere from 50 to 100 different proteins. Okay. That all do different things. Okay. Have their own unique amino acid, amino acid profile, foaming, gelling, binding, their own unique taste and flavor, yeah. etc. And what we do is we actually look at food at the molecular level, and we say, what do all these proteins do? That you, you know, if you had an egg this morning, you ate a hundred different proteins. Yep. Most people don't know any, don't have any idea what what they actually do, but you ate them, and so we know that they're very safe proteins. And so what we wanted to do is, is apply a food science lens to these proteins that have never been applied before because no one would ever in the right mind yeah. say, what does this protein do? Uh, so we went in and said, well, which proteins foam really well? Which bind really well? How can you make a cake that's even fluffier? And what we noticed is that the egg white or the egg is the average, the weighted average of all the different components, all the different proteins. And that there were proteins in there that actually were even better that had better amino acid profiles than an egg Right, itself. so if you p- had a purified part that was all about, that was super foamy. Exactly. And you want to go to a nice restaurant and they're doing all that. Exactly. Fancy whatnot. <laughs> um, the you could like eat, gastronomy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You could use that and it would create a more fabulous result. Exactly. Example. Essentially, using design as a way to build food from the bottom up as opposed to working with what we already have, is say, how do we actually build food for you? What does, what kind of omelet does Danny want? One that has a more protein in it? One that has a better taste profile? Yeah. One that is more neutral? So that's a longer term plan. What we're doing now is we've actually selected a few different proteins within the egg that actually have really unique functionalities, that really unique properties that can make them bake really amazing cakes that allow them to have really nat- clean label food preservatives that don't require chemicals, but instead use a protein that naturally kills bacteria, or other proteins that taste really good that you can add to your favorite drink and have a higher protein version of that that allows you to consume the protein without any of the baggage that traditional either plant or animal sources right. have. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So what is the product market fit? You know, the famous yeah. product market fit. Is it high-end cocktail bars and yeah. kind of some specialist things? Or is there like a, you know, am I in a year? Yeah. If I'm at Safeway or Whole Foods or whatever, mm-hmm. will I see a little carton yeah. of egg without the chicken? We are positioning ourselves to have the biggest impact we possibly can be. And the way to enable that is to be the largest and the leading animal protein manufacturer. Okay. on the planet without using animals. And we know that in order to enable that, especially when we're pre-scale, when we don't have the, when we don't benefit from the economies of scale that big food companies currently do, is that we will co-launch a few products ourselves directly. Um, and so we will be a little bit more expensive in the beginning and then scale to be able to really right. compete heavily with, uh, with the incumbents. So it's the, the Tesla model. Selling the, yeah. the Roadster first <laughs> for 200 grand and then selling the Model yeah. 3 for 35. Yes, I would say that that's definitely a part of it. There are some products that we're developing where they're already very expensive because there are companies right now that are extracting basically like doing the insulin thing yeah. for other food applications where they get X number of thousands of eggs to get this one protein for use in making this particular ingredient. So they're already pretty high value applications. So like for example, with wine. Okay. Right, a lot of wine has animal products in it. No one knows, but a lot of alcoholic Wine isn't vegetarian? A lot of it isn't. Because you need egg whites to clarify it. For beer, like Guinness, as of I think they announced last year that they were no longer using fish bladders to filter their beer. Gotcha. So there's a lot of things right. where historically it made sense to use these products, but now you use so many of them that are so expensive that it's much more cost-effective to actually use fermentation instead of having to right. get this one little thing from this animal and use it. Now, I mean, if you compared the cost of insulin from pigs versus the cost of insulin from a microbe, the cost would be massively different. Right, the same thing with the rennet from a baby cow versus uh, versus something grown versus in a lab, yeast. fermented in a lab, right? Yeah. So effectively, near term, you'll be kind of selling ingredients to food makers or kind of industry, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. Is that correct? Yeah. Five years from now, ten years from now, two questions. One: Will there ever be an egg as you and I know it mm-hmm. without the chicken? And will you be on the supermarket shelves? Will there be something that is kind of truly kind of consumery? Yeah. So actually, that will be true for actually some of our earlier products to get the products out there and tap into people that really want, you know, we, we get emails pretty regularly of people wanting to, to taste our products. So we think that we'll, we'll launch a few kind of more like e-commerce based products that people can, you know, order from us. What do you mean e-commerce products? So, you know, on Amazon and a few other, you know, on our website, uh, people can, can, can order and we can ship it to them. And maybe some smaller retail presence, but really all of that is to enable, you know, really being able to work with the largest companies on the planet to help them be a little more sustainable. 
sorry, there was another question that you raised about the whole egg. Yeah. So we do, we are working on that right now. The actual egg, like the, the Not shell. Not the shell, no. Well, okay. well, yeah, because a lot of it is, is pretty wasteful. Yeah, you know, yeah. To, to, yeah, you, to you don't need the extra packaging, so to speak. Yeah, we, so most of the companies that we work with, they they hardly ever have used shell eggs. Most of them already buy it in powder or in liquid. Right. The companies ship to them. And so we would basically try and replicate the process as much as possible so that we create a seamless of a transition for them. So effectively what you're making is right now is the yolk. I mean, sorry, the, the egg white. Correct. But longer term, you're also working on the yolk? Yeah. Is that protein? The yolk is mainly fat. Yeah. So there are different technologies that we can use to use our fermentation platform to develop the, the egg white protein pr- part of it yeah. and then leverage other technologies to, to do either you leverage plant fats or use other techniques to develop the full yolk replacement. And so do you think there will be a world in which this will be the new kind of car and the egg will be the, the horse? In other words, you know, the, this will effectively become the something or something akin to what you are doing mm-hmm. will be a replacement. It doesn't make sense to actually get these from animals anymore. It depends on what you're looking at them for. But from a cost perspective, from an environmental perspective, there will be, or sometimes from a health perspective, because we can des- we're developing, all of our products will be cholesterol-free. And so even there the, are ways, even the, even the, the fats? Yeah. So taste. Mm-hmm. Back to your earlier point around being yeah. veggie or vegan. Yeah. I always think that would just be a, such a crappy existence because you're just eating leaves <laughs> and other kind of just greens all the time it doesn't yeah. feel like it's very it's not a very lavish Party, yeah. even eating experience yeah yeah exactly. and obviously taste mm-hmm. in particular when I, we talk to other people like finless foods or yeah beyond meat that's the thing they spend all of their time yeah working on because if it tastes like you know mm-hmm. if it doesn't taste yeah. good no one's gonna it's it's not gonna go anywhere exactly. you're, you're dead and you're dead in the water yeah yeah so we screen all of our proteins before we even start producing them. We screen them for taste because we know that we have to be just as good, if not better, than what's already out there. And we will never launch a product that does not taste as good because right. that's a losing proposition. At the end of the day, like I want my, you know, my mom and dad in Texas, my relatives in Mexico. I want these people to seek our product not because it's sustainable or because it's, you know, it's yeah, ethical, If you're relying on people's conscience to exactly those Yeah, if you're, if you're, you're appealing you're to their toast. conscience, it's already a losing proposition in terms of having a massive inflection, having this massive inflection point. For us, we have to win on price, on, on, on taste and convenience because those are the two things that people overwhelmingly use as a metrics to buy a product. And so we can care as much about, you know, how nice as it sound on the label, et cetera. But truth of the matter is people care most about those two things. And especially yeah. when it comes to taste, that's one that we can control right off the bat. Price will come with scale, right? right. And so we can, we, can, we can manage that as we grow, but the taste is, is critical. And so we have one of our first products will be one of the world's best tasting protein products. That is not chalky. It's not grainy the way that most protein. It will be a powder. Will be a liquid. Or what it will be used for? Um, I can't disclose too much. You'll need to see it in a few months when we launch. Mystery. (laughs) Uh, But it'll be really for the like the protein supplement category for beverages and powders. 
For so we can do both. We can do both in, in our in our process, depending on the company. Again, some bakeries use the liquid eggs. Some of them yeah. use the powdered eggs. Same for protein stuff. Some people love the tubs. Some people love you know the quick, ready-to-go drinks. Right. So we want to be able to offer the flexibility. So uh, we may launch a, a few SKUs. So you'll be selling your own product to consumers or will like you know kind of mega protein drink type of thing we have a few partners that will work with us to launch a product will it be a, a an ingredient in something else or will it be its own standalone thing when you say a standalone thing you mean like a like a product like a, yeah like your own like kind of this is clara foods energy drink protein mm-hmm. drink use this when you go to the gym or yeah. whatever it'll be branded as as, as another company's gotcha. so we want to we're going to produce the ingredient that they that then they can use. But for our first few partners, we'll be partnering to commercialize those together gotcha. to help offer that support. But yes, the goal is to be the intel inside for all of, for the next generation of food companies. Just in terms of the push-pull of the, yeah. the market, is there desire that you're seeing, for, and is it being driven by, I don't know, millennials or Gen mm-hmm. Z or whatever to for this type of product? The clean yeah. conscience, kind of clean meat, clean dairy, whatever yeah. you want to call it. How does that interplay with actually just the science and what's allowed you to, allowing you to do? Because you say this is 40 years old, but nobody's mm-hmm. ever done this before. Yeah. I don't know how much science still needs to be figured out. Mm-hmm. Or if- yeah. So the technology, I mean, it's been around for a while. It's mainly been used in very high-end applications, right? With the Reddit, you need so little of it. Yeah. And with insulin, obviously, so, uh, so you know, a kilo, I don't know how many patients it, it can address, but the price points can be much, much higher. And we right. are really trying to be you know, a food company for everyone. And that means you know, being incredibly efficient and pushing technology to its limits. And so some companies have done it in some shape or forms, but no one has truly done exactly what we're doing. There is a lot of work that we have had to do to build that, uh, build that, that path, and that's how we've been in R&D for the last you know, four and a half years. But we've, we really now have a very strong grasp of the platform, and that's what's really exciting. But two is, I think it's a convergence. Right now, you know, we know that the consumer demographic is shifting massively, and consumers are demanding these kinds of products. Like if you look at a year, two years ago, almost every major food company on the planet committed publicly to going cage-free. Yeah. You look at the eggs, McDonald's, they use over 2 billion eggs just in the U.S. and Canada. Walmart, the world's largest retailer. Compass, the world's largest food service company. Yeah. Kellogg's, General Mills, et cetera. You know, Beanball, the world's largest bakery, they have all pledged to go cage-free, which means the price of a major ingredient is going to go up. And we need to, you know, and ultimately they're doing this because they know that they need to stay relevant with their consumers and that people are demanding this. You know, if people weren't asking for it. It'd be tough to, you know, to make an argument for those products. But I think, and also all these companies now have corporate social responsibility and sustainability reports that they have to share with the board. And so I think the conversation is fundamentally changing. And especially in light of the climate change topics, people are now tying, making the connection between diet, diet change and climate change. And right. that's been a really powerful confluence. Yeah. So last week I was tired <laughs> and I had a long night with my youngest and I got into work and I was so hungry and I stopped at McDonald's. Mm. And I got a uh, sausage and egg McMuffin, which I love. Everyone, mm. Every time I have it, I don't have it very often. Yeah. But it's fantastic. But sausage and egg McMuffin. Yeah. How long in an ideal world 
would I be able to have a sausage McMuffin, sausage, egg, whatever. Egg muffin that tastes like the real thing but is not the real thing. The, are you talking about the egg part or the sausage part? Egg part, just the egg okay. part. I would say in the next two to four years. Two to four years, that's it? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm so interested now. Oh, wow. All right, well, we'll come back here in, uh, let's call it three years. Yeah. And see, see, if, uh, see if it's happened. I look I'm forward excited. to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, great. Well, look, I really appreciate you taking your time. It's uh, super interesting. Absolutely. Danny, it was an absolute pleasure being here, uh, being here with you and uh, really, really excited. And that's it. I want to thank Arturo for taking the time to sit down. Hope you guys dug it. I have a bunch of stuff in the paper this weekend, so do check that out at the Sunday Times, of course, or online at thetimes.co.uk. Tweet at me if you feel the need uh, or desire. I'm at Danny Fortson, or you can email me, danny.fortson at sunday-times.co.uk. That is it. We will speak to you next week. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.